In Acts chapters 24 through 26, Paul stands before three Roman-backed rulers, Felix, Festus, and Agrippa II. You may have read this story not really understanding who these rulers were. If that's you, you're not alone. Most people gloss right over these Roman sycophants. So sit back, relax, and let's talk about the men who judged Paul before he went to Rome. Welcome to episode 63, Felix, Festus, and Agrippa. This is Greg Hall, and you've found your way to the final episode of 2022. And as we get ready to close out the year, we also find ourselves close to finishing our study in the book of Acts. In fact, the first episode in the new year will be our last episode in Acts. And you might wonder, what's next? Does Greg have anything planned for the new year? (laughs) Well, yes, I do. (laughs) We will be starting a series of episodes on the topic of biblical rest. And that's because my book, Rethinking Rest, will soon be available. And on the podcast, we'll be discussing some of the content and the thought progression that the book covers. And I'm really excited to get into the content and introduce you to some of the new and interesting thoughts about what biblical rest is really talking about. And by the way, the book launch is January 19th. And for those of you in the Pacific Northwest region, we will be having a drop-in party from 4.30 to 7 p.m. at the Ikebox Coffee House in Salem, Oregon. There's going to be more information to come in future episodes, but let me just say this. I would love for those of you in the area to put it on your calendars and drop by to say hi. Well, that gets us to today's episode, where we will look into the men who judged Paul before he was sent off to Rome. And just to backtrack a little bit about the story, because we haven't been following the narrative so much within the podcast episodes, back in chapter 21, Paul returns to Jerusalem. And while he is there, he goes to the temple and he is seized there. He's arrested there. He gives a defense before the Jewish people that want him arrested there. He also survives a Jewish conspiracy to kill him. That's in chapter 23. And because of that, Paul is moved to Caesarea. Now, there are two Caesareas in the Holy Land. One is Caesarea Philippi, and that's in the north country. And we read about that in the Gospels because Jesus and his disciples visit there. But this is a different location that Paul's moved to. Paul's moved to Caesarea Maritime which was exactly like it sounds on the coast. It was on the Mediterranean Sea, and it was kind of the Greek capital of the area. It's where all the Greek and Roman officials came via ship. So the Roman officials who had arrested Paul moved him to Caesarea. That's in chapter 23 as well. And then in chapters 24 through 26, the chapters for today, Paul is brought before three Roman-backed rulers to try and determine whether the Jews have a case against him. And as we dive into those chapters and unpack who these men were, I'll mostly be referring to the Lexham Bible Dictionary for a lot of my information today. So first, in chapter 24, Paul is brought before 
Felix. And officially, his name is Antonius Felix. He's the fourth governor of Judea during the time of the emperor Claudius. And he's an important figure, like we've said here in Acts chapters 23 through 24. And that's because Felix played a moderately important role in the life of Paul as the procurator to whom Paul was sent when his life was threatened by the group of religious leaders in the previous chapters. Paul was brought before Felix, who was to judge whether Paul had committed a crime. And it's Paul's appearance before Felix that he uses to share his faith in Christ. Felix is already very familiar with this movement that's been titled The Way. That's the name of the movement that the early Christians adopted. And it's also Felix who imprisoned Paul for nearly two years, during which time Felix would request to meet with him frequently. Apparently, Felix was hoping that he would receive a bribe. We read about that in chapter 24, verse 26. And so consequently, Felix's greed gave Paul repeated opportunities to share Christ with him. So that's the biblical narrative. Let's talk about Felix the man for a little bit. And we don't know very much about the early life of Felix. Even his name is somewhat contested. We'll get into that in just a minute. We do know that he had a brother and that he was also born a slave and later became a freedman. In antiquity, it was common for slaves to assume the name of the person who released them. That's what's contested about his name. Because there's a disagreement between a couple ancient authors, one who gives his name as Marcus Antonius Felix, meaning that Marcus Antonius was the one that freed him, the other, Josephus, who calls him Tiberius Claudius Felix. Felix's brother, Pallas, was released by Antonia. And if that's the case for Felix, his name would be Antonius Felix. And Josephus would be right. But if, however, he was released by Antonia's son, Claudius, then his name would be Claudius Felix. And it seems like in antiquity, there's no simple solution for the problem of exactly knowing his name. Different scholars will land in different places. And for the most part, the issue remains unresolved. So I'll just refer to him as Felix because we know that part's at least right. We do know that Felix was married three times, but the names of only two of his wives are known. One, interestingly, was the granddaughter of Mark Anthony and Cleopatra. Felix's second wife, Drusilla, was the daughter of King Agrippa I, and she actually comes into the biblical narrative. His third wife, we know he had one, but her name remains unknown. And so we know he started out as a slave, but then was freed. And we also know how he came to power because Felix was assigned as the governor of the Judea region by the emperor Claudius. And he was one of many rulers in that position. The first one was Herod the Great. And we read about him in the story of Jesus's birth. And it was Claudius who appointed Felix at the behest of the high priest, Jonathan, who was in Rome 
protesting Felix's predecessor who had mishandled some Jewish uprisings. In fact, according to Josephus, there were about 30,000 Jews who died during Jewish riots when Felix's predecessor was in office. It was that rioting and the reluctance of his predecessor to punish a Samaritan who murdered a Jew in Galilee that led to Felix moving into that position. And Felix was a favorite in Claudius's household, so he was an obvious choice as the new governor. And you would hope that he would be a really good governor of the area, but Felix was brutal. He ruled from 52 to 60 AD, and although he was being sent as an appearance of peace in the region, Josephus tells us that his reign was filled with violence and uprisings. He was moving into a position that his predecessor had created full of problems, and he failed to handle most of those. Most notably, the Sicarii, which is a group associated with revolt and robbery and assassination in that time period. According to the Lexham Bible Dictionary, the Sicarii were known for hiding small carved daggers in their clothes. And in the ancient world, the term Sicarii could have applied to a range of people and groups, but was most likely associated with political insurrection. So the Sicarii were very active and they were a problem for Felix. And when it came to rule, Felix really ruled without fear of punishment from Rome. He was very cruel. And one ancient writer suggests that his brand of cruelty and lust was what you get when you give the power of a king and combine it with the instincts of a former slave. Well, Felix was unable to control the chaos of the province over which he was appointed. And things progressively got worse in the region. In fact, Jonathan, the high priest that wanted his predecessor out and Felix in, eventually undermined Felix's administration. And in retribution for Jonathan's outspoken criticism, Felix ordered the Sicarii to murder him. And when the man, Claudius, who had put Felix in power, died, Nero became the emperor and replaced Felix with Festus. So despite the testimony in the book of Acts by Ananias the high priest, some elders, and a lawyer, where they praise Felix for bringing peace and reform to Judea, we could go one of two ways with how to understand that. Either they were actually praising him for some recent peacekeeping activities that he had been a part of, or we could understand that praise as being simply rhetorical. So just breaking away from the Lexham Bible Dictionary for a moment and looking specifically at the text, there's a little part in Acts chapter 24, verses 24 and 25 that I'd like to talk about for just a moment. Verse 24 begins, But some days later, Felix arrived with Drusilla, his wife, who was a Jewess, and sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. But he, meaning Paul, was discussing righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. And then the text says, Felix became frightened and said, Go away for the present, and when I find time, I will summon you. It's these comments that kind of caught my eye. Paul has a chance here 
in these verses to come before Felix. And it says that he discusses three things with Felix, righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. And as Bible readers, we might be tempted to read that from a biblical lens, those three topics, righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. The Bible certainly talks a lot about those three topics. But why was Felix so frightened about this? Well, knowing about his rule and knowing his future, right, that he's going to be replaced soon, and that he wasn't well-liked, he might have been frightened just because these topics were not in his wheelhouse. (laughs) But there's something else that I think was probably at play here. Felix was completely Hellenized. He had grown up in the Greek and Roman lifestyle, and as a part of that, he would have studied the Greek philosophers, including Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. And interestingly, these three topics, righteousness, self-control, and judgment, are three topics that are heavily covered in Greek philosophy. For instance, Plato writes about self-control in his book, The Republic, and he defines it as a mastery over one's pleasures and desires. And he suggests that this is done through discipline, especially self-discipline. And Plato suggests that it's not for man by himself to estimate his own success in the areas of righteousness and self-discipline. In Plato's thought process, every normal human being, without exception, is competent to give some sort of judgment on ethical questions. But the judge, in the fullest sense of the word, would not be the individual, but it would be the philosopher. And more particularly, the philosopher who has devoted himself to the tasks of administration sometimes referred to by Plato as the guardian, or more importantly, in the case of the biblical record, Plato refers to this character, the one who is able to judge best, as the philosopher king. And I would suggest to you that what is happening in chapter 24 of Acts, when Paul goes before Felix, he understands that whole progression of thought that Plato had introduced. That as people, righteousness and self-control can be judged by a philosopher king. And I think what Paul was doing was presenting Jesus as that character. At the very end of verse 24, it says he was speaking to him about faith in Christ Jesus. Christ there is a title. It's the Greek way of saying Messiah. It's a king title. So Paul is going before Felix, describing the ministry of the philosopher king, who had not only died, but was raised from the grave, and is now ruling in the unseen realm over the physicality of earth. And all of those themes would have resounded with Felix. And I think maybe that's why Felix became frightened. And I think it's another chance to just stand in awe of the way Paul approached his situation. I mean, think about it. He was held against his will for two years. Think about two years of your life. And at least as far as the biblical record is concerned, Paul saw that as an opportunity to discuss with Roman leaders faith in the person of Jesus the Christ.
Well, at the end of chapter 24 of the book of Acts, we read this in verse 27. But after two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. And wishing to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul imprisoned. So beginning with chapter 25, Festus is in the same role that Felix once held. And we learned that this is because Claudius is no longer the emperor of Rome. Nero had taken over and he was making changes. So Festus takes over as governor of Judea and he inherits Paul who's in prison in Caesarea. And it's promptly after taking office that Festus makes customary visits to the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem who request that Paul be sent to Jerusalem for trial, intending, obviously, to ambush him along the way. Whether Festus is aware of their plan or simply wants to follow proper legal channels, he refuses the request and instead invites them to accompany him down in Caesarea, where they will have a chance to present their charges against Paul. So that happens, and as the trial in Caesarea progresses, Festus, like his predecessor Felix, appears more interested in appeasing the Jews than in providing justice. And it turns out that Paul has the legal right to appeal to Caesar's tribunal, and it's that plan that also suits Festus, because sending Paul to Rome saves him from having to release a man whom the citizens want dead. And Festus recognizes that the case against Paul has more to do with a religious dispute than anything having to do with Roman law. So in order to determine a charge, Festus has Paul testify in some sort of a fact-finding inquiry, this time before King Agrippa. And that's probably because King Agrippa is a little more knowledgeable on Jewish matters. And it's in that trial where Festus is unable to comprehend either a crucified Messiah or a physical resurrection from the dead. He thinks Paul is out of his mind. Well, the material in Acts shows Festus to be a savvy politician who carried at least some amount of favor with the Jews. And it is unclear what Festus might have done to appease the Jewish leaders if Paul had not appealed to Caesar. But at a bare minimum, he does appear concerned to give Paul a fair trial. It's kind of interesting, uh, if you look at other commentators, some of them have noticed parallels between Paul's trials here and those of Jesus that we find in Luke chapters 22 and 23. In both stories, Paul's and Jesus's, there is an inconclusive trial before a Roman governor. And in both stories, that is followed by a hearing with a Herodian king. All that said, very little is known about Festus beyond the material that we find here in the book of Acts. Outside of the New Testament, he is mentioned only by Josephus, who appears to be largely favorable towards Festus and his short rule in Judea. Josephus recounts that after Nero installed Festus, a delegation of Jews went to Rome to accuse Felix, his predecessor, 
and that Felix was spared punishment only because Felix's brother had influence in Rome. And as we think about how Festus must have viewed Felix's exit out of that position of governor, he would have known that it was the problem with the Jewish leadership that led to Felix's downfall. And so Festus would have had similar motivation to do the Jews a favor as well. Most scholars agree that he came into office no later than AD 60, and that he only held the position for a couple of years because he died in office. So in chapters 24 and 25, we're introduced to Felix and Festus, two men that hold the same position one after another, and their position is a governorship of the Judean region. But there's a position that ruled over the governors of the area. And in the time of Paul, that was a kingship in the Herodian family. And so next, we'll look at King Agrippa, a leader from the Herodian dynasty. In the biblical record, Agrippa shows up at the end of Acts chapter 25. And it's here where some of you might start to glaze over a little bit, because there are a lot of different Herods mentioned in the New Testament. And if you don't understand the relationship, you might assume that they're all really the same person. But that was not the case. All of the Herods are members of the Herod dynasty. They are rulers appointed by the powers in Rome to oversee the totality of Israel. Herod Agrippa II, here in Acts 25 and 26, is the one who heard Paul's defense of the gospel and famously rejected Paul's appeal to be saved. It was the godfather of the Herod clan that was Herod the Great. That's the man who was king when Jesus was born and the one who tried to have him killed. We read about that back in Matthew chapter 2. Then there's another Herod that's mentioned. It's Herod Antipas. That's a different guy altogether, and he ruled during the ministries of John the Baptist and Jesus. He's the one who had John executed back in Mark chapter 6, and the one who sat in judgment at one of Jesus's trials in Luke chapter 23. Then we move on to Herod Agrippa I, who was king of Judea for a few years. He was the one who had James executed. It's his death that's recorded in Acts chapter 12. So, just to lay the landscape again, Herod the Great shows up at Jesus' birth. There's another Herod that shows up once Jesus and John the Baptist have grown up and start their ministry. That's Herod Antipas. And then later, Herod Agrippa I serves for a short while. He dies, and then Herod Agrippa II takes over. And it's Herod Agrippa II that we're talking about in Acts chapters 25 and 26. Agrippa II lived with a woman called Bernice, who was herself in the Herodian line. She was a daughter of Herod Agrippa I, and you might be saying, Wait a minute, isn't Herod Agrippa II a son of Herod Agrippa I? And you would be correct there. And if that wasn't weird enough, Bernice first married her uncle, who was a Herod of another area, is not mentioned in Scripture at all, 
But after that man's death, she moved in with her brother, Herod Agrippa II. And they had a relationship that was very inappropriate. In the New Testament, King Agrippa and Bernice both show up. And they're only mentioned in Acts 25. And like we've already mentioned, it's Festus who brings Paul before Agrippa II. So who is King Agrippa II in a little more detail? Well, he was born somewhere in 27 or 28 AD. He grew up in Rome with the future emperor Claudius. And when Agrippa I, his dad, died in AD 44, Agrippa II wasn't quite ready to take over. He was only 17 or 18 years old at the time. So several Roman governors for a short period of time ruled the former kingdom of Agrippa I. And eventually, Agrippa II began to rule in AD 48. And in AD 53, his rule expanded to all the former territories of his father. So Agrippa II, his title was king, and he ruled alongside various Roman governors, not just the ones mentioned in the Bible, Felix and Festus. Shortly after Festus took over the governorship, there was a Roman-Jewish war in the region. And apart from Agrippa's allegiance to Rome during that war, we know very few details about his reign. We do know that he continued to rule until his death in AD 100, and that after his death, his territory that he ruled over was made part of the province of Syria. So, Agrippa II ruled for 47 years. It was the longest reign of any members of the Herodian dynasty. And like many of his Herodian predecessors, Agrippa II proved to be a shrewd politician. So that's just a little bit about Agrippa II, a Herodian king, one of four in the dynasty. It was after Agrippa II that the Herodian dynasty no longer existed. And it's that Herodian dynasty that affects much of the story of Jesus. Well, that's all the Roman political comments I have for today. <laughs> it is interesting to me, though, that sometimes believers read the biblical story as if it's the only story happening in the world at that time. In reality, the biblical narrative describes events that were happening in a very small part of a conquered territory. And understanding what was happening in the larger story can help us understand the biblical narrative. In the next episode, we will finish our walk through the book of Acts, and we'll be looking at chapters 27 and 28. Between now and then, we will say goodbye to 2022 and hello to a whole new year of possibilities. And one of those possibilities is the chance that you might rate, review, or recommend to one of your friends the Rethinking Scripture podcast. Mm -hmm.